Happy Father's Day, as I said. And now that I'm a dad myself, uh, I sometimes wonder what kind of sagely advice I will be giving to my children one day. My kids are here in the front row. And um, dads are supposed to be full of good advice, right? Um, that's what we're, we think. I don't know. Um, we're supposed to have good dad quotes, I suppose. And uh, I'm trying to still figure out what my good dad quotes are. I, I don't think I have any, actually. Uh, but I am famous for a few things that I will say from time to time. My family knows this all too well. Where are my keys? Where's my phone? Or this one. Maybe, maybe you can identify with this one. Hun, you have any money? I remember a friend of mine who once uh, got his mom upset, and um, it, was a, it was a fight that they had, and she went and, um, to the living room, and she was crying, you know, and my friend went into his room, and he didn't know what to say. He sat there on the bed, and just wondering, what do I do, what do I do, and his dad comes home through the front door, sees his wife crying, and uh, goes and looks for his son sees him in the room, he's sitting there, distraught, and he kind of figures out what's going on real quick. They had a big fight. And he goes up to my friend, he goes up to his son, he puts his one arm on his shoulder, and he says to him, son, with compassion in his eyes, looking straight at him, one word can mean everything. And he puts his other hand on his shoulder, it's everything. And then he just puts his hands down and he walks away. And that was it, that was all he had, you get it? One word means everything. The word is everything. It was terrible dad advice. It didn't work out. I think my friend's mom was okay in the end. Sometimes, really, the best word to say is, I'm sorry, right? Well, um, when you think of a leader, who comes to mind? Maybe you go to the movies. There's some good movies on leadership, right? Let me list a few. And if you can identify with any of these or you kind of agree with me, uh, give me a, if you're a guy, give me a, rrr, yeah, rrr, okay? And if you're a, one of the ladies, you could do a, a, like, yeah, you know, something like that, okay? Well, do whatever you want. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list some movies today. The Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, oh, wow, that was in the 50s. Okay. That was good. It was manly. I felt that one. I'm going to jump ahead a few decades, okay? I'm going to go to the 80s now. Dead Poet Society. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Robin Williams. Okay, this one got some good ones on Friday. Braveheart. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a mix of errs and yeah, so I guess, I guess everyone liked that one. Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. All right, we're on a roll. Saving Private Ryan. How about this one? Oh, Gladiator. Oh, <clears throat> what's your name? I'm going to do this. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Phoenix legions. That was my best Russell Crowe. <laughs> it wasn't very good. He does it way better than I do. Remember the Titans, Denzel Washington. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. I think I, I think I got some good ones in there. When you think of a, a leader, maybe, though, you're thinking about a father or a father figure, and especially on Father's Day today, and instead of a movie, you're thinking about him. 
And some of you have been blessed with a, a good dad, a dad whose love has pointed you to the love of the Heavenly Father. And if that was you, you're blessed. You really are blessed to have had that. You know, I have a good dad. He's not here this morning. He, uh, I hope one day he will join us in worship. But we're going to go and meet with him afterwards at home and honor him and celebrate him uh, today. But um, I'm also thinking of Pastor Ron on this Father's Day. And I miss him. Because he was like a, a spiritual father to me. But maybe you're thinking about what could have been. Maybe you had a father who was absent, not a very good father. Or maybe you're thinking about yourself as a father. And instead of rejoicing today, you're kind of thinking about all the mistakes you made. You're wondering if you've gone too far down the road of broken promises and maybe hurtful words. Well, you haven't. Today's a new day. But wherever you're at, I hope we can draw something, something from the story of Joshua, because we're going to go into the book of Joshua this morning. Looking at how God's word points us to him, how he encourages us, because God has the heart of strength and courage, our Heavenly Father. That's his heart. And he's a mighty warrior, as it says in Scripture. And all fathers should lead with strength and courage. All fathers, by virtue of the very fact that they're a father, are called to lead. And leadership is a big theme in the Bible. Lots of good examples. Like I said, we're going to go into the book of Joshua this morning. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or if you have your app, We're also going to have it on the screen here in just a moment. Joshua is one of the first, is the first book of history. And um, did my thing fall? It fell. Hold on. It's the first book of the books of history. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. And as we do that, allow me to pray over our time. So let's pray. May the, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So if you're ready, let's read Joshua 1 together. All right? Here we go. After the death... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Read it with me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will, go, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors 
to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful in wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, God's got a few things to say here. We're going to take a look at two verses in particular, verses 8 and 9, but this this stretch of passage is important for us uh, to know that God is in control. God is showing that he's in control. From the start of the book, God seems to be teeing things up. If I can use golf speak, God is teeing things up. And uh, a little bit of background about where we are in this particular part of history. Starting with verse 1. Moses is called the servant of the Lord. And he's called this on more than one occasion. And you may recall that Moses led the Egyptians, uh, led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. And uh, he was leading them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. But over a period of some 40 years, they wander in the desert. And they don't make it to the promised land because of their continuous grumbling and complaining. And at one point, they even told God, the Israelites, this is a bit of a paraphrase, okay? But run with me on this. This is what they said. We are better off dead in Egypt, even dead in this desert, than to go into that land that you promised. See, what happened was there was a report that came from the promised land. And the report was, oh, it's, it's bad in there. There's some bad dudes in there. We're not going to make it. And that was the report that came out. And God was so disappointed that they listened to that and that they grumbled with that paraphrase I gave you. And Scripture tells us that any man over the age of 20, God decreed, anyone over the age of 20, because of that grumbling, you're not going into the promised land. You are not going in there. That's how, God, that's how mad God was about their attitude. But today that's changing in this story. God is going to deliver them into the promised land. A new generation, and he's getting a new leader ready to do this. And that leader's name is Joshua. Moses himself did not get to set foot in the promised land. He died. But he did get to see it. I'll give you a little picture here of what perhaps Moses would have saw. On top of Mount Nebo, he's looking out west, and he sees the land, the promised land. And ahead of him, about 70 miles into the frame, into the background, is the Mediterranean Sea. So he's looking atop Mount Nebo, which is not the promised land, is right at the border, really on the east side. I always get that wrong, east or west. The east side of the Jordan River. 
He's looking out, and down in the foothills below is the Jordan River. Jericho would sort of be in the foreground there. Actually, you can't see it, but there's a, there's a, there's a plaque up there that, if you were to visit that, would kind of show you the locations of some of those things. Jericho would be the first stop on their campaign to take the Promised Land. But there's Jericho in the foreground, the Mediterranean Sea, all the way out uh, further west. This is the Promised Land that they were going to get. And Moses gets to see it just like this. It might have been a little greener back then. He may have even been able to see further, right? Less pollution in the air or something like that. And God tells him, you get to see this with your own eyes. But you're not going to set foot in it. And shortly after seeing this, Moses passes away. And his passing is detailed in the chapter right before what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 34. But we can see that God still has a plan, right? Joshua opens up. God has a plan. He's got things in motion. And he's going to deliver on this promise to the Israelites. A a new generation has emerged. He's going to lead them into the promised land. He's going to give them this land he promised. And he's going to give them rest. Rest in the land. In fact, it says in Joshua later on that they had rest from war. So you can imagine the Israelites are setting up for this campaign. They're getting ready. 40,000 fighting men. A new generation that heard the stories of their parents leaving Egypt. Who heard the stories of how God parted the Red Sea. And this campaign, though, is not going to be easy. Because that land is occupied. There's a lot of bad kingdoms in there. A lot of bad kingdoms. And it's not going to be just physical warfare. It's going to be spiritual warfare. But God is going to take them into the land because he wants to take this part of the world back. These kingdoms that have set up their foothold in God's creation in this part of the world that God created, he's going to use Joshua to lead his people in this campaign to take the world back. And by the way, the name Jesus, derived from the name Joshua or Yeshua, that means to save. And God using Joshua to take this land back is a picture of the coming Jesus who would save the world some 1,400 years later. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And God was going to come through on his promise to Israel to save a part of the world for them. But Jesus delivers on his promise to all of us to save the entire world. Not just a part of the world, but the whole world. I love this picture. The Avengers are a big theme. Everyone's, I don't know if everyone's seen Avengers and Endgame. Earth's mighty heroes. But I'm going to tell you what. Jesus is the mightiest hero of all. And that's how I saved the world. I love that picture. There's good theology right there, actually. But let's talk about Joshua. Yeshua being the Hebrew name to save and, uh, but who is he exactly? 
Sure, we've got a book of the Bible named after him. First 12 chapters talk about the campaign into the promised land. But we don't know a whole lot beyond that. We know from some of the prior books of the Pentateuch that Joshua was a warrior. We know that. We know that he was a companion to Moses when Moses went to Mount Sinai. We know that. We also know that uh, he was really good at reconnaissance. He was one of the 12 spies. Remember that, what I told you when the Israelites grumbled? Man, we can't take that land. Well, there were 12 spies. Ten of them said, no, 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 we're not going there, guys. It's, it's not good. But Caleb and Joshua were the two who said, no, we can do this. We got God on our side. We got to trust in him. And aside from a few other verses, that's about all we know. But there is a small passage in the book of Exodus. And this passage has in it five words. It's a bigger verse. I mean, it's more than five words. But there are five words in there that speak volumes to how Joshua lived and depended on the Lord for his strength and courage. And this very small verse tells us how Joshua was being prepared to be a leader, to be chosen by God to lead with strength and courage to lead his people into the promised land. Turn with me to Exodus 33.11 if you have your Bible. Or you can just look up here. Exodus 33.11. I'll read that, okay? The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Those five words tell us a lot about how Joshua spent his days. Did not leave the tent. Strength and courage for Moses and Joshua came from their fellowship with God in a physical place. This idea of a tent is not uh, an uncommon thing for the Israelites. In fact, they lived their lives in tents. They were a nomadic people. They wandered the desert for 40 years. And whenever God set his presence, they would set up camp. And when God moved, they would set up, they would break camp. Okay, so they did a lot of setting up camp and breaking down camp. And this was not a small feat by any stretch of the imagination. This was a really big camp. All right, try to manage all those camping permits. It's not going to be easy. So whenever Moses would meet with God, he would meet in the tent of meeting. And he would return to the camp. Moses was that bridge between God and his people. But let's pause a second. The tent of meeting, what is that? Well, it was the place where, dwell, where God dwelled among his people. That was his physical dwelling place. And um, it would become eventually the tabernacle, which would eventually become the temple that was built by Solomon. But notice it's outside of the camp. Hmm. Why? Well, because God's not happy with his people. He's so angry about their poor decisions, their grumbling, 
They're complaining. He called them a stiff-necked people. But in particular, one thing that happened. You remember that incident involving the golden calf? Right? That really, really upset the Lord. And he was straight up going to destroy them. He got very close, but it was Moses who interceded on their behalf. And God did not do that. But this is what God did, though. He moved the, the tent of meeting outside the camp. And in, in a way, in a manner of speaking, it was almost like God saying, if you want to meet with me, you come outside, because I'm not going to meet with you in there. That's how much his heart grieved. Where strength and courage meet, though, we find a tent of meeting. And now we have a better understanding of why God was being specific to Joshua about keeping the book of the law on his lips, why he was encouraging him to meditate on it day and night. And Joshua had the Lord on his side. But it wasn't Joshua who was winning these wars that would be coming, these, these camp, this campaign. It was God doing that. God was winning the war. He was winning the fight. But he prepared Joshua, and, and Joshua prepared himself by being in the tent of meeting. And so what did that mean for Joshua, to be in the tent of meeting? And so I want to focus on those two verses, verses 8 and 9 at the end of the passage. I, I really like the, these verses. In fact, uh, when our kids were baptized, these were the verses we used as we baptized them. Joshua 1.8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And now we know why it makes sense that God would exhort Joshua to keep on having the book of the law on his lips. Because that's what Joshua was doing. He was there in the tent. He wasn't leaving. When God exhorts Joshua to be careful to do everything that's written in it, that's what he was doing. He was in the tent of meeting. And God was telling Joshua to keep doing what you're doing. Contact, be in constant contact with me. Be in the word. Continue in your fellowship with me day and night. Continue to know my heart. And now we know why Joshua got ready to lead with strength and courage. The time had come. Now's the time for Joshua to lead God's people. But keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. And even though Joshua may have seemingly appeared kind of out of nowhere, <laughs> make no mistake, he was already there with God in the tent of meeting. And how about you? I want to encourage all of us, especially the fathers and the father figures, older brothers. Are you in the tent of meeting? Are you getting prepared to know God's word? Are you preparing yourself for that? Are you regularly meeting with him, meditating on his word? Are you following his will because you know his heart because you're in the tent of meeting? 
And the tent of meeting is a lot closer than we realize. Remember that picture? And that's how I saved the world? Well, Jesus didn't just click his heels and say, it's finished. No ways. He made his dwelling among us. He moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved back into the camp of our lives. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that dwelling, that word dwelling in the Greek skeno, it's similar to the word tent or tabernacle. And in a, in a way, you could say that the word became flesh and tented among us. So for us today, the tent of meeting is no longer a singular physical place. Not anymore. You who are in Christ Jesus have become his dwelling place. You have the tent of meeting in your own, own heart. Jesus dwells in you. Ephesians 3.17 says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And we don't have to go away to some faraway, esoteric destination to meet with God. We don't have to worry that God is going to remove himself from the camp because of disappointments along the way. So knowing all this, we have access to God right here, right now. Are you spending time in the tent of meeting with him? Dads, uncles, big brothers, are you in the tent of meeting? Joshua 1.9 have I, commanded, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And we can't do this on our own. Spiritual strength is needed if we want to lead with courage. And that comes from being in the tent of meeting. As God led Joshua, so Jesus leads us. As we meet with him. And oh, when God leads us, he raises up a new generation. Moses brought Joshua along with him. And as we meet with the Lord, and as he met with the Lord, Joshua was there too, as we saw in Exodus 33:11. Where strength and courage meet, there is a tent of meeting. I want to ask our worship team to come up now. You know, in the larger narrative of God's story, to save the world, we see this picture unfold in Joshua. God raising up a new generation to know him and to love him. You see how this worked? God is going to lead a new generation because of Joshua. He's going to lead a new generation with Joshua. And Joshua himself, having been led by Moses, it started in the tent of meeting. And each new generation being taught by the previous one. It's important for all of us to do that. So however the Lord is leading you today to raise up a generation, whether it's your own child, maybe it's someone else's child, maybe it's to get out of your comfort zone. The Lord has put something on your heart. He wants you to move 
with strength and courage. It starts in the tent of meeting. Lead with strength and courage starting today. Know that God's in control. But we got to do our part. We need to go into the tent of meeting and spend time with him by meditating on his word day and night. Where strength and courage meet, there is a tent of meeting. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It starts in the tent of meeting. Happy Father's Day. And let's all stand and sing.